that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Tuesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. It's Doug Marie, Stephen Means, and Nathan Baird, and we are retalking the 2018 Ohio State-Michigan game in honor of Dwayne Haskins to celebrate Dwayne Haskins, to talk about the amazing things Dwayne Haskins did during that 2018 college football season. We will do our typical retalkables format, which means we'll talk about all aspects of this game. Again, this is a game where Ohio State comes in as an underdog for the first time since the 2014 national championship game against Oregon. This is in 2018 at the end of the regular season. They're coming as an underdog against the team with the number one ranked defense in the country statistically in terms of yards allowed per game. Michigan was number four. Ohio State was number 10. This was in Ohio Stadium. And guys, I was thinking about this. As we sit here today, Dwayne Haskins is the last Ohio State quarterback to win a Michigan game in Ohio Stadium because we did not have a game in 2020. I mean, yeah. yeah. I, I was thinking about it as I watched this. Like, I've still never seen a Michigan game in Ohio Stadium. Like, we're all sitting there. I mean, that's a pretty impressive game. It was a big-time top-10 opponent, and it's like none of us are sitting in that um, Ohio Stadium that day thinking it's going to be four years again before we get another yeah. one of these. That he – like, that's how that's how recent this is. He's the reigning champion of the game in yeah. the shoe. It's Dwayne. So um, you guys can go back and listen. Bill Landis joined us on the Monday pod to talk about sort of the memories of Dwayne, how he got to Ohio State, what he was like as a young guy at Ohio State. This is specifically to talk about how amazing he was in that 2018 season. Obviously, I've been here a long time. Steven, you joined the beat. I was looking at our picks for the Ohio State-Michigan game. Mm -hmm. This was your third game on the beat was this Ohio State-Michigan game. And Nathan, you weren't here yet. You joined in 2019. So I want I just want to get your quick impressions before we get to categories and before we dig into Dwayne a little bit more. What'd you think of this thing watching this, Nathan? Did, did this feel tangible? Like this, this is the Ohio State team of today? Did it feel very different to you? Were you amazed by it? Did it what'd you think? So I did see this Ohio State team up close that season because I was working in Indiana. I was covering Purdue at the time. And so I got to experience that game. That was my only real up close glimpse of them. Obviously I was familiar with them just through other big 10 things. I know that that game, that Purdue game looms over this season in a lot of ways in Ohio state fans memories, but this version of Ohio state seemed like this had to be a pretty fun day. I think for Ohio state fans for a lot of reasons, uh, and we're going to get into all of them, I think, over the course of this. But this seemed to be – I mean, Doug, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but did this seem to be the culmination of the team Ohio State thought it might have all season and finally kind of putting all that together on the one day that it maybe mattered the most? I mean, if you as you listen to the broadcast of the game, and this is these are our guys, Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt, who are calling this game on Fox. Joel Klatt is saying all day, this is the best game these linebackers have played. This is this defense. This is not, you know, this is not what they've been. You rewatch this and there are times though, when it's like, man, it feels like they have some pretty skilled defenders, but they're still giving up some chunks here. Cause it's not like they shut them out. They didn't, they didn't smother Michigan's deep uh, offense all day, but it didn't look like this should be an awful defense. that gave up 50 to Maryland. So the defense was more competent than it had been. And then 
this is what the offense was capable of. But again, as a reminder, it didn't necessarily do it every game because Dwayne wound up with 50 touchdown passes this season. But I think at the beginning of the game, they showed it. He had like 36 coming into this game because he was going to throw 14 touchdown passes in his last three games. So Steven, as good as Dwayne was, as good as this offense was, they didn't drop 60 every week. No. And to your point, yes, six against Michigan, five against Northwestern, three against Washington. I think Joe Clatt brought up the point that he, he coming into the week, Dwayne Haskins was leading the nation in touchdown passes. And then um, Washington state, I can't remember who they were playing had like a game in like the seventies on Friday night that just put everybody. It was like a gap after that. I think he called it a barn burner. So I think the best way to sum up what this Ohio state Michigan game was in terms of complimentary football is the first question urban Meyer got when he came to the podium. And that was, Hey urban, where's this team been at all year Mm. and him not having a good, I mean, he answered the question, but it's like, yeah, like, the offense was awesome and the defense was just good enough to not get in the way of that. And even like a lot of Michigan's plays, as we get into this, a lot of them were like Ohio state was making some mistakes that put Michigan in position to score some of these points, but still, yeah, it was, you'd spent 11 weeks going, why isn't this team better on defense and getting in the way of the offense all the time. And then finally against Michigan for some random reason, it clicked. This still, this game is not that old, but there still is a time capsule quality to this game because it's like, there's Tate Martell. There, there is a moment early in this game where Gus Johnson, it's either Gus or Joel is explaining who Chase Young is. And they're like, he's their best pass rusher. Like the world doesn't know who Chase Young is because actually they don't yet because he's just a good player on a good team. He's not yet Chase Young. And it's like, look out, Shea Shea Patterson, run into the stands. You don't know what he's going to become. He's saying he's their best pass rusher, talking about Ohio State, not the human race. Yeah. (laughs) I I think, I know we're doing this because of, you know, Dwayne Haskins, obviously, tragically, we lost him this weekend. But I felt like this was a, this is the epitome of what we want to do here with uh, Retalkables. From... The type of game it was is a top 10 game. It's a rivalry game. And then it's just a who's who's man of people in moments that we're going to get into. I think I want to get into this part now because it's not really a meme. It's just more of like a thing that I thought was very interesting. We all know what skull session is. It's the thing they do in St. John Arena before the game. And um, they have a player. They have, uh, I think, two captains speak, an assistant coach, and then the head coach speaks. And. One of the things going into this game was Karan Higdon guaranteeing a win. Yeah. In quotes, and if you, what you're doing. Right yeah. Now, in yeah. Quote, yeah. Cause he wasn't really like, get, somebody asked him, like, cause it was the anniversary of what Jim Harbaugh actually did guarantee a win and then went and did it. So they were, he kind of got baited into saying, yeah, I'm guaranteeing a win here. Well, you know, Ohio State and their players and they had to take things personally. Paris Campbell gets up on the stage as the camp, captain who talks, and this is what he had to say. With the rivalry, there's always expected to be a little bit of trash talk. Sometimes people get beside themselves and they sit, say nonsense. This week, some nonsense was said. A player from their team said they guaranteed a win against the Buckeyes, and today he's got to pay because we, we don't lay down for anybody. That's like, I mean, it kind of set the tone for the day, kind of similar to what Haskell Garrett did this past season before the Michigan State game, and then he went out there and made a play, and we saw what happened. 
They did. He totally got. I think they said, like, do you want to guarantee a win? And he was like, yeah. uh, I, I guess I'll guarantee it was it was. Yeah, I, I hate that kind of stuff. Well, I'm not I guaranteeing a loss. I hate it. I hate right. it. It's, <laughs> it's 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 unfair journalism. I mean, it is it it's is bull. It is like whole crapola across. What is he supposed to say there? Like, Don't do to that. this point. Am I gar- Oh, no, I'm guaranteeing we lose like. Ooh, I mean, like, I hate it. I whoever like I hate it. So but yes, but then because then it does get used. Yeah. Ohio State's like, oh, it's a breadcrumb. Cool. Let's let's bake a whole loaf out of it, which is what they're supposed to do. But I hate it for that guy. I do want to I was going to say this. I want to touch on this again. We're going to touch on everything but we're gonna really you know of course we're gonna talk a lot about Dwayne Haskins again celebrating who he was what kind of player he was and this six touchdown game listen we were gonna do the Big Ten Network said this week they were gonna show some of Dwayne's greatest games and I think they said they were gonna show the Rose Bowl they were gonna show the Northwestern Big Ten Championship game and they were gonna show the Penn State game I think and it was like oh we could do one of those and I said let's I think I said let's do the Big Ten Championship game because he threw for like 499 in that and Steven, you're the one who said, what, how about Michigan? And it was like, you know what? You're right. Let's do Michigan. Like it wasn't close at the end, but it is definitive. Like Steven, mm-hmm. why did you think this was the game that we should do to represent the amazing season of Dwayne Haskins? I think one, I mean, it's an Ohio state Michigan top 10 game. So let's just kind of start there. But the, the big 10 championship game performance is impressive kind of in a matter of fact way. Cause I remember even us sitting up in the press box going, Oh, wow. Dwayne Haskins has 499 passing yards and him joking about the fact that he didn't get the last yard to be the first person to get 500. But I think this game encapsulates what Dwayne Haskins meant to the Ohio state program and everything that has followed since the way Ryan day picked apart Don Brown's defense for 60 minutes, especially in the second half, the pocket passing, the, Mesh routes that came into introduction really the season before, but really got used a lot more often this season. The speed, the 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 wide receiver play that has been lifted, all the quarterbacks that have come afterward. I think it all starts in this game in the sense that if this 4,800 yard, 50 touchdown season from Dwayne Haskins is kind of like before this season, after this season, in terms of what Ohio State's offense is, if you want to get minute with it, it starts with this Ohio State Michigan game with the world watching and the team still fighting to make the playoff. It's been a good thing that people have revisited now this 2018 season, or people like me are getting to maybe delve into it to the extent we are for the first time, because today, we're recording this on Monday. We had, there was an interview, a press conference today with Ryan day. And over the course of that, it was just all about Dwayne Haskins. He brought up, I think like three different games during that 2018 season that, you know, he talked about the Rutgers game where he went to him and then, and went to the hotel room and was like, Hey, it's like raining sideways. This could be a problem. And Dwayne's like, Oh, it's no problem. 52 to three. And he talked about the Maryland game. He said that was his favorite Dwayne Haskins game was the Maryland game, which is that back and forth crazy game. But he ran for three touchdowns and got to show people how tough he was. And like, it's crazy how many individual games you could maybe pull out of that 2018 season for Dwayne Haskins and use it as an example of this was why he was great. This is why it was a great season. And it's just a shame that we are not doing this six years from now with him Mm -hmm. as a guest on the pod, revisiting what that was like. And we have to do it under these circumstances. I do think so. Who owned the game? That's the first category we always do. I mean, it's Dwayne, right? This is Dwayne's game. And and I will say this. I'm not trying to get too deep here, 
but this is Urban Meyer's last Michigan game. And you didn't know it at the time, although I think Urban Meyer probably knew it at the time, but everybody knew what kind of year it had been. Urban Meyer by this point had revealed that he was having issues with the cysts in his brain. He obviously had the three-game suspension to start the year. You knew something was up with Urban Meyer. It still took people by surprise when it was announced that he was retiring and Ryan Day was taking over. So you didn't know for sure, but like at the end of the broadcast, they're showing Shelly Meyer and Nikki Meyer and Gigi Meyer, and they're on the sideline. Nate's there, I think, and Shelly's crying. And it's sort of this emotional moment for Urban Meyer. And Urban Meyer remains a great um, part of Ohio State history. Of course he does. He won a national championship here. He set a new standard for recruiting. He raised the level of success at Ohio State. And what Urban Meyer contributed to this program in that way will never be forgotten. Of course, Urban Meyer has not covered himself in roses every moment since he has left the Ohio State program. And that's fine. This is not about Urban Meyer. But to me, as great as Dwayne was in that game, there was still, it was, it sort of was like Urban's game because it was the last time he coached in that game. Urban, it is striking to watch him on the sideline in this game because at the time, it was just the norm. Urban is all over the place. He has his hands on his knees, he has his hands on his head. He's yelling. He looks like he's going to be sick. He looks like he, and now that we're like in the, in a new era of any coach that doesn't act like that on the sideline, I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just, can you imagine if Ryan day was like that on the sideline, Nathan, that had to be as someone who was not covering it had to be one of the most striking things for you right now. I'll get to my final point, but what do you think about that part of that, Nathan? Well, but we were already see- – this wasn't the first instance of that. Like I remember right. the the body language that he had after the Purdue game. I think there were other instances that season where you could you could watch the weight of the world kind of crashing down on his shoulders. Yeah, so we all knew that. But this was a, this was a prime example of that. So my point here is this. Now that Dwayne is gone and we are – remembering him and appreciating him and celebrating him in this way much earlier than we ever should have. Steven, this is Dwayne's game. And if there was a time when it felt like, oh, what, what do you remember about the 2018 Michigan game? Well, they put up all this stuff. They put up all these points. And, but it was, it was also, it was Urban Meyer's last Michigan game. That's not what this is to me anymore. That's, that's like not it at all. This is Dwayne's game for Dwayne Haskins to be at his best in an amazing season for a team trying to make the playoff in a Heisman race as an underdog at home against the number one defense in the country. This is Dwayne's game and will forever be Dwayne's game. And it probably should have been before this, but now it is. That's That was how I took this in. So who owned this game? If we were doing it not under tragic circumstances, I think we all would have come to probably the conclusion that it's still Dwayne Haskins. But th- like this is not about the coach on the sideline who looks like he he's he can't handle the stress of it. This is about the guy under center who's throwing six touchdown passes and looks like he is made for this, Stephen. 
Yeah, I, I, I get the point with Urban and all that stuff. And to be honest, it, it kind of got in the way a little bit as much as they were talking about, it, especially late. Um, I would probably put Urban third on the list of who owned this game and probably put Ryan Day second because I'm more concerned about what this means for the future than what it means for cementing Urban Meyer's legacy that everybody already kind of knows about. But yes, if an alien came down to earth and said, can you tell me about Dwayne Haskins? I'd tell him to go watch this game Mm. because, and think about it like this, Ohio state wasn't playing well coming into this game. They'd lost to Purdue, went on a bye week and then, Adrian Martinez comes into Ohio Stadium and almost beats him again. And now we yep. all think Adrian Martinez is like the next great Big Ten quarterback. We all whiffed on that one. They go to Michigan State and the offense is off. And Drew Chrisman saves the day because he's punting like a madman, which even that didn't even start out well. His first punt, he janked off the side of his foot into the stands. And then Maryland is basically a competent quarterback away from beating Ohio State. Throw all of these factors in there. And I understand what Ryan Day is saying by saying that with the Maryland's favorite game, because he did a lot of growing up because basically he decided he wanted to run the ball. Now he starts this Michigan um, game off with a read option where he purposely keeps it, whether it was the right read or not, just to make a statement. He gets asked about it after the game. He says, yes, that was my decision. And then he goes on to do what he does in this game. So yeah, it's for me, it's Dwayne is one gap. Ryan Day is two. And then urban Meyer is three, just because this is his last game in that order. I don't disagree with anything you guys are saying. We'll get into this later, but I would just say that as someone who didn't experience the game at the time, if you had asked me before this week, like 2018 Ohio State Michigan game, first player you think of, it's Chris Olave. I think this was Chris Olave's. I think Chris Olave owned this game hmm. because of what it meant for the future and what it meant for this game when the pump block happens and the way that that changed this game. That's who I would have voted for. Lots of candidates. And again, it feels like a time capsule. It's like Chris Olave. It's like, he's right here. Right. He's going to get drafted in three weeks, Mm -hmm. but this was the arrival of Chris Olave. The way he came back on that ball in the end zone for that touchdown, the second touchdown catch is like, Oh yeah, that's that's that. That's Chris Olave. I wrote a whole story about how like, see that catch. That's the type of wide receiver Ohio State's going to have here now. Yeah. Good story. (laughs) well written well said yeah so uh to review these were the passing yards per game for Dwayne Haskins that year in 2018 starting off against Oregon State 313 233 344 304 270 455 412 470 252 227 405 396 in this game against Michigan, 499 in the Big Ten championship game against Northwestern, and 251 against Washington in the Rose Bowl. That Penn State game, that was 27-26. They started throwing screens in the fourth quarter and figured out, oh, this is how we can move the ball. Um, But that is an amazing season. It breaks not – we've been talking all about, oh, he's at the Ohio State records. He's at the Big Ten records. Big 10 records for touchdowns and the passing touchdowns in the season and passing yards in the season finishes with 50 touchdown passes, eight interceptions, 4,831 yards. And I did the math on this guys. CJ Stroud might break these records this year. CJ Stroud might break these records this year because CJ Stroud last year. So Dwayne Haskins average game, 27 of 38, 345 yards. 3.6 touchdowns per game. That was his average game that year. CJ Stroud last year, 26 of 38. So Dwayne was 27 of 38, 
370 passing yards per game, 3.7 touchdowns per game. So CJ didn't play against Akron and he didn't play in the big 10 championship game. So he had two fewer games. So when Steve and I said, CJ Stroud might break these records this year. I think you set up because you were like, why did you say might? You yeah. think he's going to break these? Yeah, just pro rate last year. Yeah. yeah. He literally, if they be even without the Akron game, they be beat, beat Michigan. He does break these records because that's at least two extra games and maybe even three, depending on what their playoff draw is. So yeah, he's well, well, it's, it's, he got the bowl game. So it's at least one extra game because the big 10 championship. And then if they make the playoff, it's not a guarantee that they win the playoff game. Right. That's but what I'm saying. So least, it's a, yeah, yeah, one, it's or two at least one more game. Um, but yeah, no, this is like, I mean, this, we, I mean, we had a pod talking about his Jackson sister, Jim, we're going to have 2000 receiving yards and like, we can have a discussion about that. And it's a very good discussion. CJ Stroud breaking these records. is not even well, something I'm thinking well, about. The, the thing is, their defense that year was so bad. Dwayne was playing late and playing to try to win games in the final five minutes and playing till the final yes. gun. I, if CJ, if the defense might be too good, which we talked about, the defense might be too good for CJ to break game. these records. Except and the run game might be too good. The thing about Justin in 2019 was that 10 of his touchdowns, instead of being passes, were runs because he had the mm. run threat. He had 41 and 10. CJ not running the ball. And we talk yep. about the expansion of the run game as the RPOs and these perimeter bubble screens. That's why I'm saying it. It's, it's not so much about CJ. It's not about how long CJ is going to be in the game. It's just how they're going to use him. Because even in those games against like teams where he's only going to play in the first half, I mean, he might have 350 at halftime against Toledo because it's Toledo. Just because he still might have 25 to 30 throws because they might want to get his work done early. Now, and the other thing is, I mean, again, this was, and we'll get into this, this game also showed how much of a struggle the run game was at times for Ohio State. And so if Travion gets it going this year, if, they, if the run blocking is good, they might, Travion might run for 28 touchdowns, right? It depends. It's all a balance. CJ is certainly, it's, it's sort of like a guessing game of logistics, it's not like is CJ Stroud good enough to break these records? He's certainly good enough. The offense will be good enough. It just comes down to in the end, will he play enough? Will the defense keep him in games? How much will they run the ball? That kind of thing. But certainly it's all out there for CJ this year, wearing the same number, wearing the same number, which is which is not nothing. So, and I will say that all the um Questions that I love to ask CJ Stroud breaking down the game and that kind of thing. That's I, I started that, not I started, but for me, the first quarterback I really did that was with Dwayne Haskins. That it, just the Ohio State passing game itself, I could have done that with Troy Smith, but it and that was a pretty sophisticated passing game in 2006 with guys like Ted Ginn Jr. and Anthony Gonzalez, and in 2005 when you still had San Antonio Holmes, but it just wasn't the same to try to break down the X's and O's of that. For, for me, the extension of Justin's just a little different because he has such a run threat, but there's kind of a line from the way Dwayne played the position to the way CJ plays it now, Nathan, that, you know, I think CJ is, is a maybe somewhat significant step advanced from Dwayne with the way he talks about the game and still at a, at a pretty young age. Uh, but Dwayne, I, I love doing that with Dwayne as well. That's what Dwayne was all about. Yeah, and I wrote about this today, just sort of the quarterback legacy that he is going to leave here, has left here, and and is going to extend. I mean, you're talking about right now, 
Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud, these are still people who knew Dwayne Haskins, had relationships with Dwayne Haskins. And yes, you can see a a through line there. They are not by any means carbon copies of Dwayne Haskins, but the attributes that Ryan Day covets the most and that he now wants in every quarterback going forward were present in Dwayne Haskins, the passing attributes. And so I, I think it's something that's going to that it's going to be his lasting legacy at Ohio State because I think 10 years from now, 20 years from now, maybe, I don't know, Ryan Day will probably have been gone by then, but th- it's it, a precedent for this kind of quarterback will have been set. What was it like today with Ryan Day? I wasn't there. The two of you were. I'm sure most of the Ohio State reporters were there. What was that news conference like with Ryan Day talking about this quarterback, this person that he he knew so well and cared about so much? Well, it was somber to be sure we're also 48 hours removed from the shock of it which helped and because there were multiple times today and this isn't uncommon but multiple times today where day would be asked a question and he would smile because he's thinking about a conversation he had with Dwayne Haskins he's thinking about that episode we're going to his hotel room before the Rutgers game and the, the connection that he had with him, a personal connection that uh, went beyond just being player and coach and re- just the, the being able to reach back and, and kind of experience those moments freshly or all over again. Um, so it was, I thought, a, a fitting tribute to Haskins. Ryan Day got to talk about all the things, you know, I went in kind of wondering if there was a way to talk about Haskins in the sort of in in terms of two legacies, like the legacy he was as a man and the legacy he left as a football player and the legacy left as a man uh, as all for all of us is, can be complicated at times, but at Ohio state, I came away from the way Ryan day talked today, feeling like those two things are inextricably linked that the sort of joy that he brought to the game from his personality. And then the kind of football player he was, the quarterback he was were very fused together. And I, I, Ryan day did, I think a good job uh, in, in, in terrible circumstances and, and through great personal loss for himself talking about all those things. I think it's very easy to tell that he's still trying to process what happened. Um, yeah. Because uh, just to Saturday, I mean, everybody's living their life. No one's like, thinking that this is going to happen. He and RJ were up in Maslin. Um, There was an elite 11, um, showcase going on up there and obviously rj's like a young high school kid i think he's class of 2027 20, he's trying to be a quarterback you know and so they take him up there um and he competes and whatnot he can't actually make it to elite 11 but they let underclassmen compete and stuff like that all the time and so that's where they were so he's probably not thinking that i don't know what was it like 10 15 in the morning he's going to get a notification saying that Dwayne Haskins has passed he's not thinking like that and he even got asked like how do you even like explain that to your son and he's his answer was like, I mean, I'm was basically like, I'm still processing this, you know, this is, so how am I going to walk him through this? I understand the relationship they had. So clearly still processing it. But I do think um, between the questions he got and the answers he gave, we got a good balance of Dwayne Haskins, the human being that they spent, you know, two years coaching and building a relationship with, but then also Dwayne Haskins, the football player and what it meant for Ryan Day's career. I mean, he just got flat out asked, hey, Ryan, do you feel like you'd be the head coach at Ohio State right now if 2018 hadn't happened? 
And his answer was basically probably not. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I would would be. But our cross path, our past crossing, you know, things happen for a reason and whatnot. But I do like overall, I think we did a good balance of that stuff of what Dwayne Haskins meant to him as a person and as a coach and like how it basically set up everything that we're seeing today. It did seem like from what you guys were texting and, and wound up writing that that confidence factor was something Ryan Day brought up a lot. Again, that's the thing that I've said a million times since Dwayne passed, that it's sort of this, this joyfulness, but also this incredible belief in himself. And Nathan, wasn't he saying, I think you already mentioned, like there were times when maybe Ryan Day was worried about something and Dwayne Haskins was like, it's fine. But like that, that yeah. really permeated at a level that isn't necessarily there for every player. I mean, Ryan Day at the time, he doesn't have the weight of the program on him. He's just the quarterback's coach or the offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a different – and he'd been in the NFL. He'd had a long coaching career, really. I mean, he's still a young guy, my my age. We're young, I guess. Um, but still, to have this, like, whatever Dwayne was at the time, 19, 20-year-old guy saying, like, it's fine. It's fine. Like, that, that I thought was one of the funner um, anecdotes he got to bring up today, that there would be games where he's all – he's like a bundle of nerves – which is an interesting thing to hear Ryan Day kind of admit too, because that wasn't that long ago, but like a bundle of nerves before the game and Dwayne Hassan just being like, we're good. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is amazing. It is amazing. And, uh, and Dwayne deserves certainly all the credit for that. So, okay. We'll take a little break here. When we come back, we'll talk a little more about Dwayne specifically, but also get into this game. We want to relive I mean, because, you know, he, he wants to celebrate his teammates too, right? I mean, there are a lot of guys who played well for Ohio State on this day. We'll keep doing it the 2018 Ohio State-Michigan game on Buckeye Retalkables. Doug, Stephen, and Nathan, guys, I will say this is a 62-point game, right? Ohio State scored seven points in the first 20 minutes and 55 points in the final 40 minutes. There is a part of this, Stephen – where you're watching it and it's like, is this a 62 point game? Did I turn on the wrong YouTube thing? This guy, this guys, this is available on YouTube. You can go find it. The full game is up there. It, it was more of a slow start than I remembered because they had a touchdown drive on their first drive, then two, three and outs that had negative yardage and then another touchdown drive. But after three drives, this does not look like the Dwayne Haskins, Ryan day coronation that is coming. So we're on the indoor. We just finished doing videos and I asked Nathan, like, hey, have you watched the game? And he's like, no. And I'm like, yeah, it's another one of those games where it's not quite what you thought it was when you watched it live. Um, this was very 2006-ish, where I think you've romanticized it a little bit to be in this amazing four-quarter game that the 2006 game was. When it's like, no, nah, it was kind of ugly. It actually wasn't that pretty of a game. This was like... One moment spurred 62 points, basically, if you really boil it down here, because for the most part, it's a game at halftime. Yeah, like it's absolutely a game. at It's like and I don't remember it feeling like that when we were at the stadium. It's just because you get so stuck on what happens up happening in the third quarter. But this is a game that Michigan could have 100 percent won. I did think watching this that this is no great analysis. If you swap quarterbacks, Michigan wins. Yes. Because Shea Patterson misses some throws here and misses some opportunities. And frankly, Dwayne missed a couple throws, but Dwayne hit enough throws. But listen, Nico Collins from Michigan. That's a dude. 
That dude mm-hmm. made some plays at receiver. Donovan Peoples-Jones, the a guy who Ohio State wanted, is in this game. This is a Michigan defense. It's at, at the beginning of the game. They're pumping up the Michigan defense. It's for Sean Gary. It's Chase Winovich. It's Devin Bush. These are legit dudes. Like, this is a pretty good Michigan team, Nathan. But the difference in the guys, and it's because here's the thing. Dwayne's not perfect in this game. Dwayne is not Tom Brady in this game. He, he misses a wheel route at one point. He has a one to Johnny Dixon, yeah. a little bit of a crosser where he's a little bit behind, but he hits enough of them. He does enough. And it's a reminder of you don't have to be perfect. He has a deep ball shot down the sideline to Ben Victor that I think Ben Victor probably should have caught, but maybe it could have been thrown 20% better, right? But then there are some throws with Shea Patterson where it's like, well, there's a guy open for a 30 yard gain and he throws it at the guy's ankles and he can't catch it. And this was a kind of offense that they, they took enough shots, Nathan, and they had enough skill that could turn little plays into big gains that you just had to keep firing. And eventually you would hit. And it's almost like Dwayne is like a volume shooter in this game. He put up a lot of shots. He scored a lot of points because he put up a lot of shots but somebody's got to score points. So I don't know where it fits on the efficiency metric, but the dude put up points. There were there are two things that kind of jumped out to me from the passing game. One was all that conversation, all those times you guys have talked about those crossing routes and just how freaking lethal those crossing routes are. Like you saw examples of that in this game, and it's just such a, a beautiful tool to use. If you do them right, you're really you're going 12 and 11 because you get to use the ref in some ways to like block. I mean, it's really, it, it can be beautiful football to use those. And uh, there were some great examples of that, but then there were some other times where, and maybe this is why I, I would even lean away from Dwayne owning the game where just the, just the red sea parts. And there's a guy standing with like nobody within 20 yards of him. And he just has to hit him dead. Like that, that happened multiple times just over the first, you know, half and then into the third quarter. So, uh, you saw the separation that that passing offense had really had all season and that at times was maybe held back or not held back, but like uh, handcuffed a little bit by whatever's happening with the running game, whatever's happening with the defense. The explosiveness though was, was clearly on display in, in this game. And it's in the context of this is the Michigan team that came in ranked number one in the country in defense. First, I want to, um, I wrote this down as soon as the drop happened. Um, Because we had this discussion before about Marvin Harrison Jr. being everything Ben Victor was supposed to be. Mm. As soon as I saw that drop, I said, Marvin Harrison's catching that ball next season. A couple of times. 100% catching that ball. Um, That was a tough tough catch. I mean, he had to, like, do a twist in midair to try to come back and catch that ball. Right. That's why I said a top 100 recruit who's the son of a Hall of Famer makes that catch, (laughs) not Benjamin Victor. He got his hands on it. He got his hands on it. Yeah. That's a catch that a, a first future first rounder wide receiver run in the NFL catches that you would expect somebody like that to catch, not Ben Victor. But I don't want to rag on Ben Victor. That's not what we're here to do today. My that's favorite part. Of, yeah, that's the next part. My favorite part of the game isn't the crossing routes. It's like Ryan Day when Ryan Day knows he's got Don Brown and they stop running crossing routes and start faking them. And Joe Cloud even points it out. It's like, we've been kicking your butt for a half with these crossing routes. Now we're going to start faking them and sending KJ Hill back the other way. And one of those, because then Michigan gets out of the man defense that they're yeah. playing because they're getting smoked on every crossing route. 
And then, as you said, Nathan, so then in the second half where they're playing zone, they run a bunch of crossers and the guys in the zone, like fill their areas. And then Paris Campbell is like sitting in the middle of the field in the open spot where all the crossers left. And it's like, well, there's a free 25 yards. And they blow a coverage on a Johnny Dixon touchdown late. He throws, Dwayne throws six touchdown passes. He's not, it's not like necessarily ripping them in tiny windows. It's not the world's greatest throws, but again, Six touchdowns is six touchdowns, volume shooter, 62 points against a defense that was ranked number one in the country. You know, he did what needed to be done. And, and it's one of those things like he's the right guy for that. 230 as for co- comparison, Michigan was giving up 234.8 yards per game coming into that game. Ohio State's defense was giving up 398. So the Ohio State's defense is giving up 164 more yards per game than Michigan's is. And you needed a guy, Nathan, I think, that just kept trying it. It's like, oh, that one didn't work. Let's try this one. Let's try this one. It was relentless. This is a passing attack that just absolutely never stopped. And Dwayne Haskins was a guy, if it doesn't work the first time, let's try it the second time. And like unshakable is going to do his thing. And it was just like the right kind of thing to work against, you know, this kind of defense. I think that again, they've been giving up 235, oh, 235 overall. And he throws for 396. So that's the part of this, Nathan, that it is against what is legitimately a great defense with a bunch of NFL guys in this, because again, frankly, now the weather was pretty good. It was at home. But Ohio State's offense in 2021 played a pretty good Michigan defense and didn't necessarily do this to this level, right? So this wasn't perfect, but it sure as heck worked. And it, the other context to keep in mind, and, and maybe this is getting too nuanced, for, but it's I remember as many yards as that 2018 put up, it was not without its offensive flaws too, especially in the running game, right? So – to come out and and really just um, put their foot on the gas in the second half, especially. I, I, I agree with what Steven was saying earlier, and it's one of the reasons, again, why I picked Olave, that when that moment happens and they get that separation from that point on, that was where it felt like they were just, you know, uh, on top of the hill charging down at the defenseless guys below them or, or whatever the analogy is. Like they, they got on top and then they saw an opening to just put it away. Number one defense in the country. Ohio State's offense was number two in the country coming in. Pre-game, Gus Johnson's talking about the golden arm of Dwayne Haskins. Joel Klatt says that Dwayne Haskins doesn't get enough credit um, for what he did to carry this team to a 10-1 and record, which, again, is a reminder. This was a really flawed team. Guys, I did think this watching this the whole time. As much as – and we, again, writing about it at the time, they were running a lot of RPOs. The offensive line wasn't completely comfortable with it. This is the 2018 season where J.K. Dobbins says he's in his own head. Mike Weber is good. Mike Weber is not great. Mike Weber has a pretty good game on this day. But it felt like Ryan Day running an offense dressed in Urban Meyer's clothes, right? That, Stephen, when you look at this now, you see the Urban – excuse me, you see the Ryan Day offense in here – but there is a lot of zone read left in this that just is gone now for CJ. That this is not 
what CJ, they probably ran 15 plays in this game that CJ Stroud's not going to be asked to run this year. And it's, it's, it took, you know, it took time. This, like we said, was transitional, but it wasn't all the way there yet. And I think if you let Dwayne run an offense that's three years matured, right? He would have been even better because there are times here. Yes, you can talk about the toughness. He ran against Maryland. He ran a little bit in this game. He didn't run the rest of the year. Like he just, he was not a runner. They can, I know every, the, the coaches love it. He ran for 59 yards against Maryland. He ran for 34 against Michigan. And then again, it's college stats against Northwestern. He ran for minus five against Washington. He ran for minus 14 for the year. He averaged 1.7 yards per carry. He's not a runner, but they tried to pretend, right? And like, we make a big deal. He kept it on his own read on the first play. It's insane that they're doing that. Why are they doing that? That's not who he is. But Steven, that's what he had to live with. And he threw 50 touchdown passes and threw for 4,800 yards in an offense that was still evolving. I mean, Urban fought it all season. He talked about it extensively and how hard it was to have to run the NFL offense, which is which first and foremost, that's the most over-dramatized thing I've ever heard a coach say. Like fighting an offense that's putting up 45-plus points a game is a struggle for you. I hate having to win with an NFL quarterback. What kind of – also, like I, I get it. I understand coaches can be over-dramatic sometimes, but that, that's just a ridiculous statement to me. But also, the parallels between Dwayne Haskins and C.J. Stroud – are so interesting. And it has nothing to do with the fact that they were number seven. It's the fact that both of those guys got introduced in the state of Michigan, where the first real big thing we saw from them was a run play. And it was like, ooh, it was it was mm. the Michigan game from Dwayne Haskins where he had that 24 yard run down to the goal line. It's like, ooh, yep. look at what Dwayne Haskins, look at that paired with the arm. And for CJ, it was like, ooh, the 48 yard run against Michigan State. And then they never ran again. And then we spent the entire year complaining about why the quarterback won't run and why the defense sucks, but the passing game is awesome. And then it finally came all together when a team from Michigan came to Columbus. At the end of the game, again, Gus and Joel are good. Gus Johnson's saying at the end of the game, I think after Dwayne throws his sixth touchdown pass, he's not Tim Tebow. He's not Braxton Miller. He's not Alex Smith. He's not JT Barrett. He's more like Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. Which again, Nathan is is you know ah, who are you comparing him to? I don't know the two best NFL quarterbacks the last twenty five years. Okay, maybe, but it's that point. He's a thrower. He's a processor. He's a slinger. He's not a runner, and he's a Ryan Day quarterback. He's not an Urban Meyer quarterback. And this again was was part of that evolution. But I think Nathan, it is important to give Dwayne credit in here that it wasn't fully evolved. He evolved it, and. C.J. Stroud is now the beneficiary of an offense that is designed perfectly to take advantage of C.J. Stroud's skills. This was still remnants. There were remnants in here where Dwayne was asked once a series to do something that it frankly made no sense to ask him to do, but they asked him anyway. And Ryan Day talked in a couple ways about that today, too, as he was just kind of reminiscing on that season and, and what Dwayne did for the program and it was reminding people that it wasn't just the vertical attack it was his arm strength being able to get 
sideline to sideline so easily. And again, as Steven was saying before, using that as an extension of the run game. But then I think he even also used that sort of point guard terminology of being a, a distributor within an offense the way that a point guard might be. And, that, and I think importantly that while he did want to, you know, show people he could run and stuff like that too, maybe somewhat stubbornly at times that he, he embraced that identity, right? That he was, he wanted to be known as that kind of distributor within the offense. Mm-hmm. I think he was comfortable with that terminology. He didn't feel like that was any kind of a um, slight or to, to say that, that that was what he, he knew that's what he was, what he wanted to be. He wanted to be great at it. So the Heisman race here is, is coming into focus in this final week of the regular season. The guys are talking about it on the broadcast. They say, okay, Kyla Murray and Tua Tonga Bailoa are in. We know that. And it's just, it's just funny now to again to look back on stuff. And Joel Class says, and coming into this weekend, I thought there were three guys in the next tier. And the three guys were Will Greer of West Virginia, Gardner Minshew of Washington State, and Dwayne Haskins. And it's like, Will Greer? What? Will Greer? What are we talking? But that's that was the reality. And then Dwayne in this game, it was like, oh, no, 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 no. He's no longer in the Gardner Minshew tier. No offense to Gardner Minshew. But it's like, he's in that tier. He's in the tier with Kyler Murray and Tua Tonga-Vailoa. And then those are the three guys that wind up getting invited to New York. But he has this game. And then he comes up and he has the Big Ten Championship game, 499 and five touchdowns against Northwestern. I don't know, guys. It's a Heisman winning season, I think, some seasons. Kyler was bazonkers that year. Kyler is rare. And guess what? The Heisman winner, frankly, actually usually is rare. I think this is probably better than like a Jason White Heisman year, right? I mean, like find the worst Heisman years. Not Jason White, people are going to come out, right? But all right, is it better than Joe Burrow's Heisman year? Is it better than um, Troy Smith's Heisman year? I mean, there are great Heisman years. We get it. But this this is on the level. This is a Heisman-worthy season. By the time he got to New York, we knew he was third. We knew he was third. And Kyler won pretty easily. Then Tua and then Dwayne was – I think Dwayne got 47 first-place votes. He was pretty distantly third, but also clearly third. But, Stephen, like, it's in the mix. And the question – and I brought it up on the Monday pod was, if they beat Purdue, does he win the Heisman? I don't know. He's closer. Now, listen, because Oklahoma, Ohio State's battling Oklahoma for the last playoff spot here. Oklahoma's yeah. not a loss. If Ohio State's undefeated, and we can, I mean, if Dwayne had played slightly better against Purdue, Dwayne still, there's a throw early in that game to Terry McLaurin that Dwayne is a nanosecond late on. And if he makes that throw, I think it might change the whole game. But it's, it's Heisman-esque. Steven, I think that is not in dispute. He wasn't that close as it turned out, but I wonder if there's a world where he could have been much, much closer. Yeah, um, I get what you're saying, but I think they just might have given it to Tua just because Alabama is the best team in the country, undefeated, and he kind of this all starts from him throwing that pass to Devontae Smith in the national championship. I mean, Tua, game. Tua lost it. Tua lost it in the SEC. Yeah, championship. That's the thing. He had yeah, a bad he, SEC championship game. Right. So it's like, Tua lost it while Kyler Murray won it on that same day. So if you yeah. take out Kyler Murray winning it, then like, I don't know if like Tua didn't have the most impressive day, but it's, it's not bad enough to whatever 
Dwayne Haskins did in the Big Ten championship game in Michigan is enough to over to take that. If he's undefeated, it might be. And it didn't help him Maybe. That, that Northwestern was not incredibly respected in that yeah, Big Ten championship part of game. That was, but I, we're just saying again, like for people who are like, oh, Dwayne Haskins, it's like, you know, if you're not an Ohio State fan, it's like, oh, it's that guy who whatever in the NFL. It's like this guy had a Heisman worthy year. This is this yeah, is not sure. this is this is not some guy who was just good at his program. This guy, this guy, this guy holds currently holds the all-time Big Ten record for most touchdown passes and most passing yards in a season. He beat Drew Brees. I mean, this guy is this guy is pretty comfortably too. Unbelievable, <laughs> Nathan. So I get I it's what I just but but yet, right? Ohio State didn't make the playoff that year. The urban stuff and the Zach Smith stuff in a lot of ways kind of overwhelmed that whole season. I think I remember writing it at the time that like Dwayne was sort of like getting lost in this because it was a very urban year. And it was like, oh, and by the way, there's this guy throwing for 345 yards and four touchdowns a game. And if it had been a more normal Ohio State year, I think it would have been more appreciated. I think that's probably right. I think that because you want to be able to, even if Ohio State doesn't quite do it as emphatically as some other programs do, I think because they think that they don't have to and they're probably right. But, you know, coming up with that Heisman Trophy campaign, but everything else that was swirling around the program probably did overshadow that a little bit. I certainly felt that from the outside. I remember that. Um, knowing who Dwayne Haskins was, knowing they had a good season, but also I think the struggles of Ohio State in general were from the outside more of the story that year. The Urban Days, the Urban Meyer struggles, the Zach Smith struggles, the defensive struggles. There were a lot of Ohio State blank struggles <laughs> that were headline worthy that year. And so it's not that I think plenty of ink was spilled on the amazing season Dwayne Haskins was having and the, and the records he was breaking. And he was recognized at lower levels for all of those things. But I, I think absolutely you're right that it probably got in the way of, of some people's Heisman votes. And I, I think that if, even if Ohio State had been undefeated, that, that, that final voting tells you, because it doesn't change anything for Alabama or Oklahoma, as far as the seasons they had, if Ohio State had also beaten Purdue and, even and when that voting happens after those championship games, even the championship game that Dwayne Haskins had wasn't enough to get him more than 47 votes. So I don't know if it would have pushed him all the way up, but it certainly would have made it a closer vote. Kyler was really good. The passing yards per game that year. Now this includes the bowl game. So this is, this is not what the stats were at the time of the Heisman vote, but this is at the end of the year. Gardner Minshew from Washington state, number one, 367.6 yards per game. Will Greer, West Virginia, number two, 351.3 Dwayne Haskins third 345.1 Kyler Murray fifth 311.5 now Kyler was also rushing for like 60 yards a game so that really mattered Tua Tonga Vailoa 20th in the nation 264.4 Tua 43 touchdowns six picks Kyler 42 touchdowns seven picks Dwayne 50 touchdowns eight picks 50 touchdowns that year. Tua was second with 43. So we had seven more touchdown passes than anybody else in the country. That's true. There, there are two stats here, though, that I think are maybe the deciding ones. It's both Tua and Kyler had like a 25-point edge in quarterback rating. And then 
uh, Murray, as much as we remember him for being, you know, this all around athlete and how much he could do running the ball, 11.6 yards per attempt and Haskins 9.1. So two and a half more yards per attempt than Haskins that year. So I think there was some thought that he was a volume shooter, as you said earlier. And he was, he was a, a volume shooter. And that I, I agree that he could have easily won a Heisman in other years with a year like this, but I, I don't know that even just beating Purdue would have got him there this year. Volume shooters win MVPs though. Sometimes. Sure. I mean, sure. Like, like Russell Westbrook, sure. James Harden wins MVP. So no, sure. but I, I don't, I'm not saying he should have won the Heisman. I'm not saying if they beat Purdue, he would have won the Heisman. I just, he was right. He was, Heisman caliber kind of season and the thing. And again, it's like, it's, it's, we're not trying to listen. He just deserves to be remembered for what he earned. And I guess maybe that's what people like us can do. But the thing that I wonder about is this is tragic news about a 24 year old young man. And we are not going to pretend that, we knew him like his friends and his teammates and his family members knew him. But I think maybe the average college football fan that's not an Ohio State fan probably isn't listening to this. But I don't, when they heard Dwayne Haskins died, I think they might have thought of, oh, that guy who got drafted by Washington. And oh, yeah, he was it. And it's like, this guy almost won the Heisman. Because if he was a Heisman winner, it would be the tragic passing of Heisman Trophy winner Dwayne Haskins. And that would not define who he is, but it would be a way of telling people how special he was as a football player, Stephen. And that's what I'm trying to emphasize here, that he could have been. He almost was. And if you're not sure about how good Dwayne Haskins was or how important he was, Almost Heisman Trophy winner Dwayne Haskins is an apt way to describe him. And that would be a shorthand for some football fan in Texas or Florida or Pennsylvania or California who maybe doesn't appreciate how rare this guy was. There's always those athletes who you know they were good, but you don't really understand how good they were until you put it on a list. I like preface the question to Ryan Day about that today. Like when they sent out that list of all the records he'd broken, it's like, you know, he came in here and broke a bunch of records, but to see it all in front of you to what we're doing now with this Michigan game, to see the stats in front of you, it's like you didn't, you appreciated it in the moment, but I don't think you really knew what you were looking at. And I think that's what Dwayne Haskins is because you're, he is a volume shooter. He was a pretty efficient volume shooter, though. When you really think about it, when you see all of the stuff he did, that's a to your point. Yes, it's a Heisman caliber season in a year where he just wasn't the only person who had a Heisman caliber season. Right. OK, we do have other categories we get to <laughs> that's the retalkables. So that's I mean, this is for Dwayne. This is for Dwayne. Yeah. Um, I hope people in the future come back and listen to this. This is for Dwayne. This is for people to celebrate and appreciate what an extraordinary football player he was, how he is one of the great all-time Ohio State Buckeyes. But we want to remember this game as a whole because that guy's celebrating, man. I mean, Dwayne, Dwayne celebrated everybody. So let's celebrate everybody. The JT Barrett, underappreciated player of the game. JT Barrett there, by the way. They show Ryan Day on the sideline after Dwayne is tearing people up late in the game. Baby-faced Ryan Day. 
It's like, Ryan Day, are you 26 when you were the offensive coordinator in 2018? But it's like Dwayne just did something again to the Michigan defense, and Ryan's like walking down the sideline like, hey, I'm the coolest 26-year-old guy around. And JT Barrett's there in the sideline because JT was on the practice squad in the NFL, but he was gone by that point. And Ryan Day like slaps hands, daps up JT, and like Steven there like celebrating it because it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like we're doing the JT Barrett underappreciated player of the game. JT Barrett very much appreciated what Dwayne Haskins was doing that day. Pretty sure he mouthed the words, how you like that explicit word. I'm pretty sure that's yeah. what he did. And there's there's like a video. I'm pretty sure. I can't remember if you, t- I think you took it. When um, Dwayne's going back up the rotunda to go to the locker room, he's stopping and taking all the you know photos and stuff. And JT Barrett's like waiting for him at the top, mm. um, which is like a really cool moment. I think we did a we did a really good job capturing some of the stuff. But my underappreciated player of the game is Malik Harrison. I think this is perhaps maybe his the best game of his career. Seven tackles, two tackles for loss, a sack, almost had the pick. But he is like everywhere, literally from the opening snap where he just blows up a play. And then from that point on, it's like to the point of Joel, um, Joel Klatt's like these linebackers haven't played like this all year. It's like Malik Harrison. Where has this been for 11 weeks? I mean, I I was here in 2019 for Malik Harrison when he had a great season, went on to be a you know, mid-round NFL draft pick. But I was going to ask you guys, was this the best game here? Because I, I picked the same guy for yeah. underappreciated i so thought he I. was uh such a catalyst for what happened in this game and I, I don't remember him being individually any single game this good now because of this game teams had to pay a little bit more attention to him in 29 2019 perhaps but he was a game wrecker at times more so than like even chase young in the game like this i did i initially had him for one of the speed awards because there was a play where he shot through a gap and chased down a running back he looked like nicobe dean Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, is that guy an All-American? Is that guy a first-round pick? He looks like a, a lion chasing down a gazelle. It's like, no, that's Willie Harrison. He's good. He's a third-round pick. He's not All-American. It's like, really? Because he kind of looks like an All-American in this game. This does give him the opportunity to something I want to talk about with the entire defense. And I've been, I, I wrote this down, and I've been saving it because I wanted to talk about Dwayne for an hour. But I also want to mention this. There were at least uh, there were 14 Ohio State defenders who played 29 snaps or more in this game. Do you guys want to guess how many of those 14 were eventually drafted in the NFL draft? You said there were 14 guys, 14 guys, our top 14 guys in this game. I'm trying to think which ones wouldn't have been. BB Landers was not. That is correct. Tough Borland was not. That is correct. Um, the other one's hard. The other one's hard. So so, so 11 out of 14. Yeah. It's 11 out of 14. Brendan white is the other one. Uh, Okay. Oh, he then transferred to Rutgers, but he and Jordan Fuller played like the whole game at the two safety spots. There are three first round picks, chase young, Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett. There is a second round pick in Pete Warner. There are three third round picks in Draymond Jones, Davon Hamilton and Malik Harrison. There is a fourth round pick in Kendall Sheffield. There is a fifth round pick in Sean Wade. There is a sixth round pick in Jordan Fuller. And there is a seventh round pick in Jonathan Cooper. How was that defense that bad? This Greg Schiano effort as defensive coordinator is 
in at good luck at Rutgers. All the best, Greg Schiano. What was this? How do you have a team? Now, listen, I get it. A lot of these guys were not drafted immediately after this game, after this season. They were growing into it. There was some talent uh, percolating here, Nathan. This was not yep. – we, talk, we talked about talent dip, right, with the Ohio State defense the past couple of years. I don't know, man. I'm not sure this is a dip. you got 11 of your 14 best guys are going to get drafted. And then I guess, yes, Nick Bosa got hurt. Yes, that is a gigantic. Because then it would have been 12 of your best 15 guys got drafted. And it's only 11 of your best 14. This defense was pretty good this day. But they still, again, there were moments like, oh, this defense is playing pretty well. Here comes a third and six. Oh, they just gave up nine. Oh, okay. Well, they'll probably do something here. Oh, wait. That was just an 11-yard run. Okay. And there's a pass in the end zone. There's a touchdown. And it was like, I thought, like, even when they were, when they were playing well, Nathan, they weren't playing that well. It still felt like, I think you guys should be better. And I think you're just in the wrong place because I think your coaches told you to go to the wrong place. There is a uh, tough Borland play, a, a Michigan touchdown in this game where they released, I can't remember which running back out of the backfield who he caught a touchdown pass because Borland didn't go with him. He followed the tight end that was coming across the middle. And like, I thought that was an example of that because what's the one thing you would say about tough Borland? Like tough Borland always knew what was supposed to be happening on a field. Even if he was matched up with the wrong guy because other things happened, such as in the national championship game, he knew where he was supposed to be. So, that to me was an example maybe of just how discombobulated things were on defense at times. And that there was an underlying athleticism that by the end of the season, guys like Werner and obviously chase young, but even some of those other younger guys, you would start and Emily Harrison, you'd start to see that maybe push through in a game like this. So I, 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 I had both thoughts. Like there was part of me as I started watching that game and you see those guys popping up all over the place and you're like, okay, well I see, I see how this turned into 2019 to some extent, but when you see, remember how low 2018 was and how high 2019 was, like they were the best defense in the country. Like those two things don't correlate at all. Like that, yeah. you can't you can't reconcile that without blaming someone. And you're bl- I blame the adults, not the young adults. Something just doesn't make any sense at all because. They gave up 39 points, man. The only other team that scored more than Michigan did all season was the week before when Maryland scored 51 points. I don't know what's more confusing, that the 2019 defense was basically the 2018 personnel or that somehow the best defense in the country in 2019 was that 12 months ago. And that's that's a Shiano thing. That's a Alex Grinch. That's a Tavor Johnson. That's a mm. Bill Davis. Mm. And that's why Ryan Day brought none of those four guys back. <laughs> I mean, that is it's, correct. It's, it's 39 points. Now, seven of those were six because I think Michigan went for two was when DeMario just kicks the ball yes. to him and they take over the 10. So so maybe it's only 32 without that. But um, no, I think you're right. And I think this game, you could say, like, who 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 does this game make look the best in some ways? Um, how about Jeff Halfley? Yeah, dude, Damon Arnett's like not even the same player a year later. Like this is no. handsy. Oh. I'm gonna get a pass oh, interference boy. call. I'm what? all. I'm. I'm. We can't get off the field because they just threw the ball at you. This is that guy. Like it's 
Look at those plays. And you go, that guy's going to be a first round pick one day. This is the grabbiest secondary I've ever covered. Ever. His jersey says Arnett JR. It should say Arnett PI. (laughs) (laughs) He's a private investigator. (laughs) Hi, I'm I'm here to cover receivers and investigate crimes and grab jerseys. Oh, my God, they were grabbing. They had so many penalties in this game. But whatever their defense was, it was like, we're going to play man. And here's what we're going to do. Play man and then sort of like not be in position and let the guy run past you, then grab him. Their defense was, we have Nick Bosa, and then they lost Nick Bosa. And it's like, I don't know what we do now. I know. It's like, (laughs) we still actually do have Chase Young. We just don't exactly know it yet. So, um, yeah. But how how healthy at this point in the season was Chase Young? He had two bad bad ankles, but still, like Chase is, from that Penn State game on, he was like coming. He just was, he had two bad ankles. He was, cha- I mean, he chased down Shea Patterson and hit his right. arm and forced the yeah. pick, you know, but I remember you wrote that the next year, I think, Stephen, right? Like in 2019, you wrote like Chase Young was like, oh yeah, I had two high yeah. ankle sprains all year. And it was like, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Cause Great. I remember when he said it, he's like, yeah, you know, I played with two high ankle sprains. Dude, you had 10 and a half sacks. What do you yeah. mean you played with two high ankles? Oh. He's like, yeah, man. So I'm like, so I'm like, so what does that mean? He's like, I don't have two high ankle sprains anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, okay. <laughs> My ankles work. I'm going to win the Heisman. What do you want? Um, all right. So, yeah, there was a lot of underappreciated sort of defenders that got to show him mm-hmm. how good they could be in this game. Slob moment of the game. I'll just say that when Steven and I were doing our pregame video about like what we thought was going to happen, I had real doubts about Ohio State's offensive line. So I was reading my story um, after the game and I wrote Ohio State's offensive line kept Haskins clean all day with a performance I didn't think they had in them. They deserve to be recognized by name. Left tackle, Thayer Munford. Left guard, Malcolm Pridgen. Center, Michael Jordan. Right guard, Demetrius Knox. And right tackle, Isaiah Prince. All of them coached by Greg Studrawa. Urban Meyer said, right? I mean, on the in, mm-hmm. in the litany of let's not give Dwayne too much credit, Urban was basically, I mean, he called Dwayne elite right after the game on the field. But then later he was like, hey, man, it starts with the offensive line. And Dwayne will tell you that. The offensive line, Nathan, just played really well. I don't know if you guys had like a separate slob moment. But the slobs came to play on this day. There was a J.K. Dobbins third and three conversion late in the first half where like the entire offensive line just converged and created this massive hole that he ran through. I thought that was an, a version of that. Um, I, again, having just seen a little bit of that that team earlier in the year, because especially in the red zone, it was a problem. They couldn't run the ball in the red zone. They couldn't do a lot of things in the red zone. I think people thought that the offensive line was a contributing factor to that. It certainly hurt them in that game that lost to Purdue. And this was a kind of rising to the occasion moment. It's one of those, we haven't really talked about this yet, but you wonder how teams get motivated, how teams get focused on things. As Steven said, they were playing poorly down the stretch of this season. It was all kind of falling apart and did all of that did they get to channel it because this game is treated the way it is at Ohio state Did they get to channel it into this performance. And that's why you're seeing multiple position groups may be playing better than they had all season because it was this game. Yeah. Yeah. No, no actual moments, but yeah, the zero sacks on 31 dropbacks. And I mean, Dwayne, I don't know how much like time Dwayne ever had to buy or had to evade a, a tackler, which is pretty impressive given what, some of the guys that Michigan's defense had, but I think he even said after the game, zero sacks, which means I have to take my lineman out to dinner again. Yeah, they were really good. Um, and, and again, that's not, you know, Michael Jordan was playing out of position at center, Malcolm Pridgen and Demetrius Knox compared to like, that's not Donovan Jackson. 
right? Demetrius Knox gets hurt right at the end of this game. Um, But that's, they were Isaiah Prince as a guy who was a highly rated recruit, but in a lot of ways, you know, had a lot of troubles at Ohio state just on the field in terms of like, wasn't always great. So credit to those guys. Oh, and by the way, Thayer Munford, who's still here. It's like, again, again, it's like, there's some time capsule stuff where it's like some of these guys feel like they played here 15 years ago and other guys are like, Oh no, yeah, that guy, we, we just talked to him. Well, you know, today when we talked to Ryan day, um, Monday, when we talked to Ryan day, he said, we still got guys in that locker room who played with Dwayne. And then we sat down and did the math and they do like, there's like several guys who would have overlapped with them as people who they came in as true freshmen in 2018, as he was having this season. And that was also kind of like a time capsule moment to like sit down and think like, oh, yeah, like there's, you know, Teron Vincent and um, guys who are here is like 60 year guys, like a yeah. um, bunch of the guys who are still around. Not a bunch, right. but like a handful, good handful. Let's just make sure we get this down for the record. The pregame picks for this game. Steven Means, Michigan 42, Ohio State 28, Doug Maurice. Michigan 34, Ohio State 20. So we both said take Michigan minus the four. So that's where our heads were. Emphatically. Hold on. (laughs) I like chickened out too, because right before we started recording, and even like Bill and Ari heard me, I was like, I think I'm going to pick Ohio State in this game. And then we started recording. I was like, no, I'm going to pick Michigan. I'm too scared. I don't want to do it yet. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah, two 14-point victories predicted for the uh, fight in Wolverines. Did not work out that way. The Malik Hooker, where did he come from award? Uh, I had a lave for this because he, coming into the game, he had five catches on the year, one against Oregon State in the opener, one against Tulane, two against Michigan State, one against Maryland. And he had two catches for 48 yards and two touchdowns, and he blocked a punt that changed the game. And part of the where did he come from is also like, how did he get did that he come from? coming up the middle? Where did he come from? To Greg Schiano's credit, I think Greg Schiano was dialing up, Stephen, some mm. punt blocks that year, and he got mm-hmm. Olave free. And it always is one of those like, oh, like, congratulations on your touchdown catches. Could you throw your body at this guy's foot and see what happens? And Chris Olave is like, yeah, cool, I'll do that. And by the way, I think on the broadcast, Joel Klatt said it was Cam Bab. He did. So – no, forget like where did he come from on the pump block? Where did he come from? Who is Chris Olave and why is he impacting the Michigan game? Nobody knows who this kid is at this point. But to the, the pump block first, if we want to get into this now, or do we want to save this for a later time? Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay, cool. This is Urban Meyer's quote on the design of the play. To tell you the truth, I didn't think we could do it. Coach Shiano drew that up in quality control coach Parker Fleming. Oh my God. <laughs> I take it all back. He earned it. Oh, no, that's is- what, yeah, that works with us. And, and I saw it on Wednesday. I grabbed Parker and I said, you can't, you, you, you only have 2.1 seconds to get there. He's not that fast. And of course, I like wrote a story about this. According to logic sports, they like did the math on this. He ran about 16.3 miles per hour to get there, which is basically 1.98 seconds. So yeah, he was that fast. I, I didn't know the full backstory, but you saw early in the game if you watched the punts because I didn't know I couldn't remember which punt it was. So like basically every punt that was happening in this game as I rewatched it, I was thinking like, <laughs> is this the block? Is this the block? And a couple of them, he was still he was still he's lining up outside obviously or near the near the edge, and he was staying outside. 
So it really was like they were setting this up almost like for the one time they would cut him back in and spring it because there were other times where he got depth, but he wasn't getting in to where he could get over in front of the punter. So uh, just a, yeah, I mean, perfect play at the perfect moment that went as well as they possibly could have designed it. So Austin Mack got hurt late in the year, which opened up a spot in the receiver rotation. Terry McLaurin moved and they slid Olave in. And he has two catches, two touchdowns against Michigan. Then he has five catches for 79 yards and touchdown against Northwestern. And it's like, oh, welcome Chris Olave. So he was here. And he had the first touchdown catch of the game. And again, that second touchdown catch, the ball's in the air. And he makes the play. And it was, Stephen, like you said, these, this is going to be the kind of guy they're going to have from now on. He cut inside the corner and just made a play on the ball in the air, sort of came back to the ball. And I was like, wow, that is not how we usually see guys play that. There was a stretch here at Ohio State where there was a lot of here comes the ball. Let me wait for the ball to come and I'll see if uh, someone comes to break it up. And Chris Obama was like, no, that's my ball. And went and got it and was like, okay. And this is, I mean, mean, again, Terry McLaurin's the number one NFL receiver. He's in this game, but just like Olave had something already. Olave had something already and he got a chance to show it here late in the season in this game. Yeah. Dwayne, he did like a sit down with the big 10 network. I think after the big 10 championship game, and this is one of the plays that they brought up. And I mean, he's going through what the play is and it's like, Dwayne knows that he's going to have to throw Chris Olave open a little bit, but also the receiver has to be smart enough to know that and go get the ball. And to your point, yeah, we're used to the Devin Smiths of the world who as great of a deep ball threat as it was, it was run fast, box your guy out and catch the ball when it comes to you. That's not what Chris Olave was. It was run fast, locate, track the ball, track the deep ball, and then go up with two hands and go catch it. And that's, I mean, that's like it's a whoa moment in the Michigan game in 2018. But now it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, Marvin Harrison, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, that's they do that. You're almost it's almost a disappointment if you can't do that mm. now. Here's yeah. why Olave is a fitting. Where did he come from? Choice, because there are a couple other Ohio State receivers who people were also going to eventually be saying, where did he come from? When Terry McLaurin and. Uh, Michael Thomas get to the NFL and start doing what they're doing. I think people said that they're like, yeah. wait a second, Michael Thomas, mm-hmm. wait a second, Terry McLaurin and Olave beat them to it. Kind of, he was the one who got, they actually kind of said it about in, in college in a way that you didn't about those other guys. But it's also why I picked him to be the one who owned the game. All due respect to Haskins, just because I think Olave won like five of these categories. Like you could put Olave for like everything except like slob moment was Olave. So, I mean, three plays. He had two catches and a block punt. The two catches yeah. were for touchdowns, and the block punt changed the game. Yep. And he's Chris Olave. It's like, what a career this guy's had, for real. I mean, like, the, the winding, you know, greatness, but some ups and downs, like, oh, an amazing, an amazing career for Chris Olave. You guys all know that. The Jim Trussell punt or not to punt moment of the game. I picked this in the first half where Michigan – has like a third and 19 and I think at 17 is going to go for it on fourth and two from the Ohio state 42. And it's like, this is the right call. And then they jump offside and then they had to punt. Mm-hmm. But it was like, I thought in the moment, it's like Harbaugh's like, let's go. And in a world where it's kind of more normal now, four years later where coaches go for it, Nathan, but yeah. I was like, yes, Harbaugh, you're making the right call. And then in the right side of his offensive line, screwed it up. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's, it's a, textbook call it's what most coaches I, I don't understand why more coaches don't have the courage to do that i don't think it's even that courageous you're at the other team's 42 go for it 
It's college football. That was did you guys answer. have that was yours? Anything else for mm-hmm. you, Nathan, on the punt or not to punt? So did this Tate Martell package work? Okay. That's let's my get the bill. Qu- yeah, let's get there. Let's get there. Okay. Let's get there. This is the let's Bill Davis Tim Beck questionable coaching moment. So they have they have this package. They you they use them earlier they use them once and then they get Dwayne back in they get in the red zone inside the 10 and they run Tate have Tate run zone read three straight plays and it is awful I think he makes the wrong read all three times every time yeah it's like Maybe. oh he he gave it when he should have kept it he kept it when he should have given it and the result is they wind up kicking a field goal and it's like I the the words and breath I expended on the Tate package in the 2018 season. Oh my God. Landis and I, all we talked about was the Tate package because they couldn't run it in the red zone. And it's like, uh, you got a little Tate here. You got a little Tate. And Steven, it was awful. It was ugly. And now you watch it and it's like, Ryan Day, it's even worse. you are a great offensive mind. What are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. Put the guy in the game who's like a point guard and then just run like a little tight end flare or some kind of crossing route in the end zone. What is this? This is a combination of your offensive line doesn't get a push. So you can't just hand the ball off to JK Dobbins. Cause even when they had to win out there, they were trying to throw the ball in the red zone. It's <clears throat> I'm not blaming Ryan day. I'm blaming urban Meyer. That's urban Meyer yeah. wanted to play Tate Martell so badly and he it goes back to the spring where he's like, Tate Martell is going to have a role. Tate Martell is going to have a role. Tate Martell is going to have a role. Urban, let it go. It's over. The days of Tim Tebow are over. And I don't even think one of them wasn't even a <clears throat> wasn't even a read option. They just ran QB power with Tate Martell. And it didn't make any sense because there was no hole. Somebody missed their block and Mike Weber got his block. But then Tate Martell can't beat the linebacker to the line to the line of scrimmage. Um, it was bad. Yeah. Yeah, y'all talked about it so much that like, you almost made it a requirement when I first got here. It's like you can't you're not indoctrinated on the beat until you write a story about the Tate Martell package. It was Tate hadn't thrown a pass since Tulane week. So what do you think Michigan is thinking is going to happen here when you throw him in the game in the red zone? Also, let's go back to the portion of this podcast where we talk for 15 minutes about how Dwayne Haskins almost won the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, he had a season worthy of the Heisman <laughs> Trophy. And you're taking him off the field at the goal line to put Tate Martell in. And I actually, I also, I'm with you, Stephen. I don't blame Tate Martell, and I don't blame Ryan Day because I don't even, even if Orvin Meyer didn't have this um, predisposition to want to force Tate Martell into more games, and it was Ryan Day's call. Urban Meyer is the head coach, and he can overrule that. He can say, mm-hmm. "We're not doing that." It's Dwayne Haskins and, and all this momentum that you're building to get down the field and then to make that call and put him in. Um, it's not that far different than just running a wildcat. I think my stance against the wildcat is um, I, I don't know if we've had a chance to talk about it on the podcast. It's like one of my least favorite things about football when teams are on the wildcat. I think it rarely works and it's a mess. And I don't know why you don't just it's Dwayne Haskins and um, and he had just run for three touchdowns a week before. Like, what, what are you doing? They, they made it look like, oh, scoring from the four yard line must be impossible. Yeah. It, and they made the football <laughs> look so difficult with those three plays. Well, I'm sorry, but let's go back to the Heisman Trophy vote. If you're, you're thinking in your mind, like, well, what's the difference between Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins? 
Dwayne Heston's team doesn't want him on the field at the goal line. Yeah. They cost how how Tate Martell cost Dwayne Haskins the Heisman Trophy. It would Not be Tate Martell. The and people let me who tell are you sending what... him into the game. And they almost <laughs> cost Ohio State this game because didn't Ohio State settle for field goals on two of those yes. Yes. fourth downs? And when this game was close, I'm you're thinking I think if 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 Chris Olave doesn't block that punt and this game doesn't unfold the way it does, are you writing about how over reliance on the Tate Martell formation cost Ohio State the game? Yeah. I've never wanted a player to be mic'd up as badly as I did. Then when the camera went to Tate Martell and Ryan Day and Tate Martell is like talking, trying to explain to Ryan Day what happened and why he didn't get in the end zone. And Ryan Day has just got this face of like, get out of my face. My quarterback's back on the field. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Well, yeah, I want the guy I wanted to be mic'd up was Dwayne Haskins when yes. the first time Tate Martell comes out and taps oh, he him on the shoulder. It. He hated it. <laughs> we, I think we asked him about it during Michigan State week, and his answer was basically like, yeah, I hate Dwayne. this. I don't want to come off the field. Hey, Dwayne, I'm in now. Can you go off the field, please? Oh, uh, Now we're being mean to Tate. I, I rode Tate Martell for for three years, and now I'm being mean to him. Listen, it to. is. It's You're right, Nathan. It's, it's, it's the way they used him. Tate's Tate. Dwayne's Dwayne. There's no illusions about that. And one's it's good, not like not. teams haven't put in running quarterbacks before, but it just was not effective. It just was not effective. My, my, uh, my first hometown paper, Danville, Illinois, they used to have these summer like uh, three on three leagues that we would cover for whatever reason. Then there was a team that was made up of like three guys who had like started at the local high school in Agana and played like small college ball. And then they had like a fourth guy on the team, their sub, who was just like a regular guy that currently played for the Danville high school team. And, like occasionally he would like have to go in and like sub one of those guys out. And like, the, they would always kind of like roll their eyes and like shrug their shoulders and like walk off the court for like one play and then go back in. That's just, I, I was thinking of that today as I watched Tate Martell going in for Dwayne Haskins. We love Tate. He tried his best. It just was not meant to be in that situation. Uh, the Kenny Guy next man up award. I gave this to Jonathan Cooper for being the next man up behind Nick Bosa, who had gotten hurt in the TCU game, because we talk a lot about rotating defensive line. This game, according to the 11 Warriors snap count, defensive ends, Chase Young, 72 snaps, Jonathan Cooper, 65, nobody else more than 14. This was as Coop, like in the end, became this great representation of what it means to be a Buckeye and this great leader. This is just like, borderline five-star recruit Jonathan Cooper playing in the Michigan game as a younger guy because they need somebody. And listen, Chase is Chase, but Coop kind of did his thing a little bit here. So who'd you guys have for the next man up award? Oh, Coop's a good pick. I mean, and, and he had that big, uh, a big tackle in this game at one point that I thought was sort of a, a pivotal one. The only other person I was going to mention, and you already kind of did in passing, and it wasn't so much about this game, but the Demetrius Knox injury opens the door for yeah. Wyatt Davis and the repercussions yes, of that were big yeah. for the next two years of Ohio state football history. Yeah, that was mine. With Davis getting an opportunity to get extended snaps in the Rose bowl and then the big 10 championship game, basically set up with the next two years of his career where, where he was an all American. I do like the coop pick though. I think Jonathan Cooper would have been one of the greatest defensive ends in Ohio state history. If he could just play Michigan 12 times a year, mm. because his two, the two games where he actually played meaningful snaps against Michigan, 2018, three tackles uh, in a sack. 2019, three tackles in a sack. And what was his fourth game be- before you know he set out the rest of the season? So I I don't know. He's a kid from Columbus who grew up rooting for Ohio State. Now he gets to play Michigan. And the two times he got to actually play against him, he dominated a little bit. So I'm all for, yeah, let's, <laughs> yeah, 
Jonathan Cooper against Michigan is a second team All American. Jonathan Cooper against everybody else is a third team All Big Ten guy. It was really similar. It was um, the year Marcus Hall, 2013. Marcus Hall got kicked out of the Michigan game for flipping the bird to the stands, and then Great Urban moment. didn't didn't play on the next week, and so Pat Elfline. Yeah had to start in the Big Ten Championship game. Pat Elfline came in for Marcus Hall in the Michigan game, then started in the Big Ten Championship game. This game, Demetrius Knox, it's actually like Ohio State's rubbing it in at the end, and they're trying to score one last touchdown, and Demetrius Knox gets hurt in the last minute, minute, two minutes of the game, and is lost, and then Wyatt Davis has to play the next week in the Big Ten Championship game. Those were two situations. They were young guards who were forced in to the Big Ten Championship game in a big role. I'm like, Pat Elfine had played well years before. Wyatt Davis played well. And then it set them up, as you guys said, for what was to come. So that's a good guy uh, to mention there. The John Cooper, if he'll bite, he'll bite as a pup award. Uh, I picked young man Seven Banks picking up that bouncing ball and running it in for a touchdown. And it was sort of, I think you could almost briefly feel like Gus Johnson, like flipping through his roster of like, and it's, seven banks for the touchdown seven banks wearing number 15 uh as a true freshman there on special mm-hmm. teams you guys have anybody mm-hmm. else ryan day i immediately jumped out i saw rosy cheeked ryan day maybe before he even could grow a beard and although it wasn't that long ago he probably could and um but another one i threw out was sean wade had a, yep. a PBU in the third quarter of this game that I thought like, oh, I saw that next year, the next year in 2019. Like when when Halfley comes in and they go to the single high safety look and now he's that cover safety slot corner, whatever you want to call. I just he was great that year. He was great in 2019, I thought. And and at, especially at things like that, like a physical presence around the line of scrimmage, breaking up passes, making tackles in the run game. And that was a flash of it. It was going, he was only a redshirt freshman at the time, but it was more was coming. I mean, obviously Olave didn't just like bite. He basically just ate the whole steak and then walked yeah. away. Um, and so I'll be back next year for more. Um, Sean Wade was mine though. Missed opportunity, him ever moving away from safety. Mm. I mean, he had the big hit on Higdon at the line of scrimmage on third and nine, and then I think he put the proper punctuation on this game with that big hit in the fourth quarter. Um, he rocked like, that Michigan guy in the fourth quarter, yeah. and the Michigan guy was mad, but it was a completely yeah. legit hit. He just mm-hmm. blew that guy up. Like, I get he was a five-star corner. Actually, he was the second-highest-rated highest rated corner in that class behind Jeff. But of the things Alex Grinch did wrong during his time here – the one thing he got right is Sean Wade is a safety and yeah. uh, we can call it a slot corner cover safety, whatever it was in 2019. He was a strong safety in 2019. And because uh, we saw uh, he's back in the NFL now and the Patriots immediately moved him to safety. Cause he's pretty good up at the line of scrimmage. That's why he got yeah. kicked out of the, of the playoff game against Clemson. Cause yep. he's physical and they're blitzing him to get after Trevor Lawrence. Cause he's not some corner who's afraid to hit like Sean mm-hmm. Wade will bring it. And we saw it here in this Michigan game for sure. Uh, the Tedkin Jr. speed moment. Was it Paris Campbell shot out of a cannon? I mean, I don't know what else would ever fit here. So the, uh, I think Urban Meyer was <laughs> he was fighting to make sure it was a pass play and not a handoff, because I think initially they they credited it as a handoff before Urban Meyer was like, yeah, this is a pop pass. He's supposed to pop it up. But yeah, nobody touched him. As soon as he got around the edge, we saw Paris Campbell. 4-3-1, 4-3-1 at the combine at six feet and over 200 pounds. 
that guy, there are not a lot of guys like Paris Campbell. And I wrote his mom was a track star. I wrote mm-hmm. like a big track story. Paris is a track guy who grew into a football body and was like, well, okay, let's do this. And it is rare, but that guy, Nathan, that, that is speed. You don't usually see. Yeah. And it's, I, there were a couple of times where he flashed things in this game and it's just, uh, um, obviously we're talking about this, about things are even much more sad, but it's sad that he has just had not had some good luck. He just needs a, a break. Maybe there's still something for him in the NFL, but like he just, he needs the injury luck to, to finally go his way. Um, the one that I was going to mention just to, so we can, to get this back to Dwayne was um, a pass that he threw in the first quarter, just like a, um, like out in the flats to KJ Hill, that if it had hit him in the chest might have gone through him, like might've left a hole. Like he just yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely a fired a laser yeah. at him. And I was like, Oh, I think that qualifies. If we're talking about like velocity of pass, can that qualify for this? The Ted Ginn speed moment? I think with Paris, the most interesting thing about his career, and everybody knew this, you didn't have to follow the Ohio state closely to know this Paris went from a guy where you couldn't throw the ball to him unless he was two yards in front of you to basically turning himself into a second round wide receiver. That's a pretty impressive feat. And he's still, he's still better. You don't want to throw him the ball 50 yards down the field. You'd rather throw it to him five yards from the line of scrimmage and let him run yeah. 50 yards. Um, but he, he was a great player this year. He had 90 yeah. catches this year. Like he's great. And, and again, there, he is not like most people and he is a great dude. Like those receivers that year, Terry McLaurin, great dude. Paris Campbell, great dude. KJ Hill, great dude. Johnny Dixon, great dude like these were the four guys that Dwayne was bing bang boom it was like it was that that part of it was they were um they had been around a long time i think they had been waiting for sort of the passing game to evolve i had questions i had real questions in 2017 it's like why isn't this passing game better 2016 why isn't this passing game better are the receivers kind of holding it back in some way and then it was like okay once you got i think a play caller who knew how to and a quarterback who could sling it then you saw Terry and Paris and Johnny and KJ really show what they could be. Uh, quick break. We'll come back and wrap up the last few categories here on our retalkables about the 2018 Ohio State Michigan game. Here to celebrate Dwayne Haskins and the amazing season and amazing game he had against Michigan in 2018. Style check stuff that's going on. I just had Bryce Harper because Bryce Harper was there and he's a famous <laughs> baseball player. And again, for people who don't know, his girlfriend was a, a soccer player and transferred to Ohio State. I think she started off somewhere in the West and transferred to Ohio State. And I think they're married now. And then Bryce Harper was like, I'm in. I love Ohio State now. And Bryce Harper was like good at this point. Nathan, you're like a baseball guy. And now Bryce Harper is like, gets paid like $80 million a year and was won the MVP last year. Nationally. Yeah. Yeah, so Bryce Harper was um, Bryce Harper needed a, a college that he could just pick because he didn't go to one. But he was right. such mm-hmm. a, a phenom um, coming out of high school that he, he was pretty well known. But it was interesting that they referenced him as a free agent there because I had forgotten. I, I always forget how early Bryce Harper started his major league career, but he was he was started in 2012 and then he was a free agent after the 2018 season. That was before he signed with the Phillies. So he'd already been an MVP once. And he just won his second one last season. Anything Bryce else Harper. for style check? You guys? Um, Yeah, just because like it was the most random thing in the world. Mike Weber had been wearing 25 all season and then like 
it's me and uh, Patrick uh, Murphy from Bucknuts. We're walking by on the sideline, getting ready to come back up to the press box. And he's like wearing number five. And we're like, why'd you change your number? He's like, it's just where I wore in high school. It's like, dude, it's the last game of the season. He's like, I don't know. So, yeah, <laughs> Mike Weber think, changing his number to five. I think I remember that. That was a piece of uh, a breaking news early in the Stephen yeah. Means uh, journalistic career at Cleveland.com. He owned the Mike Weber number change. I, that's right. Because watching it, it's like five for running back. Yeah. Like, what is that? It's like, oh, no, no. That's Mike Weber. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's Mike Weber. Uh, meme it. What'd you guys have for meme it? A couple of things. Um, one, the Troy Smith tribute that Dwayne Haskins and KJ Hill had on the 40th touchdown pass. And then they spent that midweek arguing whose idea it was um, because they both wanted to take credit for it. And then the um, I love fan reactions when things are going wrong with their team. And so after the punt block, there's like this Michigan fan. He's in this maze hoodie and all his friends are clearly Buckeye fans and they're all celebrating around him. He's just got this face of disgust. Like, I have to deal with this the rest of the night. I love those moments because they usually end up on the internet and they usually end up actually being memes. Other people suffering. Yes. For our enjoyment. Um, no, there was, but there was even, I think early on, I, I love that surrender Cobra thing. They call it right when the fan, mm-hmm. you put your hands on your head. Yeah. I think after DeMario biffed the kick, I think they showed an Ohio state surrender Cobra in the stands for a moment. Cause it's like, what is happening? And then like, they recovered from it, but that was, that was not great. Um, Nathan, what'd you have for meme it? So both of mine were related to the head coaches and what you could, you could do little gifs. And one was like Harbaugh always has this like perpetually kind of pained look on his face, but there was one where he like, like just drops his, he's already kind of squatting down. And he like drops his head and shakes it. And I thought you could put like, when you hear Justin Fields is in the transfer portal or something like that, because it's only getting worse, <laughs> Jimmy, like, it's only getting worse for at least the next couple of years, but then, all right. So to be equal opportunity when like urban's having a tirade on the sideline, I couldn't help myself. I'm thinking like, when you find out someone else at the bar has another angle on the video. Oh my God. Did you just say that on this podcast? Oh my God. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That's really, that's, 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 that's pretty that's funny. Tough. I'm, I'm laughing. Uh, I am laughing. The, uh, I did, there was the one also, it was actually a meme. I think that Dwayne threw a little past Terry McLaurin, like two yards short of the sticks and Terry McLaurin just put his shoulder down and ran through a Michigan mm-hmm. guy to get the first down right on the Ohio state sideline, right in front of urban and urban gave the two swing, two arms, like pump your arm, pump your arm. Like that's what I'm talking about. And that was like Terry McLaurin in a nutshell. That's just like, that dude is, that dude is fast as a bullet. And by the way, he will run through your face. Competitive excellence. Yes. And actually, there was one more. I think it was after the punt return block touchdown. They're going to commercial, and there's just a lone Michigan fan shaking his head in like this sea of. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was, that was, yeah. That was, okay. Did you mention that one? Okay. Yeah. And then the crowd surfing. Oh, yeah. Good crowd surfing. And Mm. I, and I will say, I thought like it caught me a moment because Dwayne always said that Troy Smith was his guy, right? That he loved Ohio State and he loved Troy Smith. And this, this got me a little bit at the end when Dwayne is celebrating, he hugs somebody on the sideline and the back of their Jersey says T Smith and it's Tyreek Smith, hmm. but it has the T like does Tyreek have the T now? There must've been a, 
But it was There's somebody like, else on the team who's probably. But it was like Smith. it was like oh my god, it's it's like ten year old Dwayne because Dwayne was doing. I think Dwayne did the Troy and the celebration you're talking about is Troy Smith famously on Senior Day when he came out to the crowd um, onto the field put his fist in the air and swiped his feet like a, like a mm-hmm. bull getting ready to charge. And Dwayne Haskins and KJ Hill did that. I think Dwayne did it multiple times in that game that he is such a Troy guy. Yeah, and he, he see, said he called Troy to tell him he was going to do it. Okay. To see him hugging a T Smith and it's a T Smith from Cleveland. I was just like, Oh my gosh, like how great is that? Cause at that point, that's just Tyreek Smith. That's young guy, Tyreek Smith. Yeah. You know, he's just kind of a young guy on the sideline there getting ready to build his career. That that caught me when I saw that. Uh, Maurice Claret game-saving moment. Is this a punt block? Yeah. Yeah. Because in I kind of ran through, like, the stuff that happens leading up to the punt block and then, like, everything that happened after it. It's Michigan's got the ball. It's, it's still a game at this point. And first play is a good play. 14-yard run for Kahan Hickman. So they're in good position right now. And then Chris Evans gets stuck stuffed at the line of scrimmage. Jonathan Cooper gets the sack. Uh, Sean Wade bails out Michigan with, you know, another grab. So it's a PI. So Michigan gets another set of downs. One yard run, one yard run, incomplete. Chris Olave gets a punt block. And then Michigan's very next play, because it's still not really out yet. It's still a game. It's 34 to 19. But oh, Michigan has a chance to really calm some things down here. Negative two yards for Karan Hickton, uh, incomplete pass from Shea Patterson to Zach Gentry. Chase Young forces the interception to Jordan Fuller, and then, like, it's over after that. And now, like, now the crowd's all in it. The arena, the stadium is shaking and all that. Basically, in a span of 90 seconds, a pump block turns into a dominating win for Ohio State. Yep. As you said, it's 27-19. Ohio State's ahead. The pump block at 441 left in the third quarter, seven banks returns at 33 yards for the touchdown. And then they followed up with another score. Uh, it really was a game. It really was a game. And that's, that's just obvious to all of us, right? That that is the moment. And which is why Nathan, you said Chris Olave owned this game. Last three, does this look like a championship Ohio state team? So I will say double checking the college football playoff rankings that year, Michigan was number four going into this week. Oklahoma was number six. Ohio State was number 10. They were all 10 and one. After Ohio State wins this game, Oklahoma is fifth at 11 and one. Ohio State is sixth at 11 and one. And Georgia is still in the mixer. They're fourth at 11 and one. So Ohio State is sixth going in to the Big Ten uh, championship game. Ohio State wins the Big Ten championship game. It's like, are the Buckeyes going to get in? This was the second year in a row where Ohio State went to Selection Sunday thinking they might have a chance to get in. I really, in 2017, I thought they were going to get in, and they didn't. They finished fifth, and Alabama got the fourth spot. This time, Oklahoma, Big 12 champ, gets the fourth spot at 12-1. and Georgia, after losing the SEC title game, is still fifth at 11-2, and and Ohio State finishes sixth at 12 and one. And I know of the things about voting, I think Gene Smith was on the committee at this point. I think he's still mad that Georgia finished ahead of Ohio State. I think you can have it's like Oklahoma, Ohio State. Okay. But like Ohio State's a 12 and one Big Ten champ, and they finished behind a two loss SEC team. 
that didn't win its conference. So, Nathan, when you look at them, right, we're trying to judge it off this game. Do they look like a championship team or let's expand it? Do they look like a playoff team? Do they look like a team that under the right circumstances could have been the fourth playoff team that maybe then in retrospect looked like it didn't belong there? Sure. But no, they didn't look like a championship team. Just too many flaws defensively. They, they, they would not have pushed through a tournament and won a championship that year. You thought, I mean, the things we said about the defense, the way Malik Harrison played, some Chase Young flashes, Sean Wade, 11 guys who are going to be drafted. You didn't think there was enough potential upside for them to be something more than get your butt kicked in the semifinal? I mean, butt kicked maybe. I'm saying that that, that, that was among the yeah. outcomes. But no, the, the team that was going to go in and win two games against the caliber of team that they were going to have to play, no. Steven, what did you think? What did you think the, the possibilities were potentially here for Ohio State at its best if maybe it had squeezed in? This game made me go watch the Clemson-Alabama game right after it. Um, and because I wondered what Trevor Lawrence did to Bama in the national championship game, could Dwayne Haskins do that? And after watching that Michigan game, I said yes. So because of that, I think this this does look like a national championship team, even with its flaws. If Chase Young is ready to pop, even with the ankles in Ohio State's Malik Harrison maybe has one more of these games in them. Maybe they okay, maybe they gave up 28 points to Alabama instead of 16. But I'm the question is, could they have put up 44 points in Alabama in a national championship game, or could they put up 40 plus against Clemson in a playoff game? I think they could have done that. Yes. So Clemson's the two seed. Clemson smokes Notre Dame. Number yeah. three, Notre Dame in one semifinal, 30 to three. The other game, number one, Bama versus number four, Oklahoma. This presumably would have been the Ohio State spot. Bama wins it 45 to 34. Tua is the player of the game. Tua throws for 318 and four touchdowns. Josh Jacobs runs for 98. Kyler Murray's 19 of 37 for 308 and two scores. Runs for 109 and one score. Their tailbacks, including Trey Sermon, uh, do nothing for Oklahoma. It's uh, C.D. Lamb, eight catches, 109. And they brought it up, Nathan, on the broadcast. That Joel Klatt, Joel Klatt was kind of, you know, making Joel Klatt is, uh, you know, I don't know if it's because the Fox, because Fox broadcasts the Big Ten a lot or whatever, but Joel Klatt uh, often will wind up making a case for Ohio State. And he was talking about Nathan early in the game, Ohio State's 10 and one, and they're wondering why they're 10th in the playoff rankings and why Oklahoma, which also has a bad defense, is much higher than Ohio State with one loss. Why are they ranked so much higher? And the idea of like our defense, we're not saying our defense is good, but we're saying Oklahoma's is also bad, which is an argument that you can always make or you always could in the Lincoln Riley era. Uh, There's a part of that that's not an unreasonable argument to me. right? And again, could they have won a championship? But the idea that Oklahoma got in instead of them, I'm not sure exactly what the difference was between those two teams that year. Well, again, I think it it reflects just how much the Purdue loss was held against Ohio state. The fact yes. that Purdue was like barely a 500 team that year and that they just absolutely obliterated them. Whereas Oklahoma had lost a three point game to Texas, which was ranked like that's, there's really no comparison on the, in the quality of those two losses. And I think maybe unfairly that 
the severity of that loss and the mediocrity of Purdue hung around Ohio State that season in a way that the loss that Oklahoma took or even the one that Georgia took, the second loss that Georgia took didn't hang around. That's the one where I think you do have a, a, a bigger case to make. Where it's like, okay, I know you're the SEC. I know you just lost to another great team, but you got two and this team only has one. That's a tougher case to make. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, but I do think Steven, I, it's one of those things. I I would have I would have been curious to see Dwayne and this offense take a shot, right? Take take a yeah. shot. I don't know. Get Paris Campbell on a crossing route. He's he's faster. He's as fast as anybody on Alabama's defense, right? Give him a shot. Let Ryan Day try to dial it up. Have a month to figure it out. Puncher's chance, right? I mean, I think when you have a high flying offense like that. The thing that we said about Ohio State is sometimes, you know, their their playoff world, it, sometimes their biggest issue was they didn't get in. Because I think like if they get in, it's like take a shot. Because this was a this was a pretty darn good offense. Not as good as now, right? As good as these guys are, CJ Stroud, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Travion Henderson. I think that's better. I do. Yeah. But this was pretty darn good and i just would have been curious to see how they did i don't think for instance we would have seen a repeat of 31 nothing in the 2016 semifinal against clemson right that's the ohio state team that probably shouldn't have gotten in and the 17 and 18 teams were more qualified i think were better teams than the 16 team but 16 got in and got shut out and 17 and 18 when the offense was better didn't get a shot yeah i think 15 and 18 should have got in. I can, even with 17, I don't know. I think JT Barrett had kind of hit his ceiling at that point. And so it, may, it might not have been 31 to nothing, but I, I don't know if they would have been competitive. But for sure, 15 and 18 are like, man, what ha- you, you, there is a part of you that's like, what if they would have gotten to the playoff? Yeah, just to see. But that, that fifth place team almost always probably has that case. No, it, it which yeah. is which is true and which is just going to be, again, you're stuck in your own reality, which is why John Cooper, John Cooper would have loved the 14 playoff because John Cooper would have had a shot some of those years when he would have had a top 14 and 10 years from now, when there's an expanded playoff, the first year we have a 12 team playoff, everyone's going to do, going to, you know, do the 10 teams that would have benefited most from a 12 team playoff. And Ohio state's going to have some teams on that list. (laughs) Like Ohio state's going to have teams on that list. So will the 2018 team be at the top? No, I think 2015 team certainly would be higher than them, but they're on a list. I think they're on a list. Enjoyment meter. How much fun was that for a college football fan to watch? Again, not an Ohio State fan, Nathan, a regular college football fan. I put 743 on this. I think the average college football fan dislikes Ohio state more than they dislike Michigan. And I think that when it looks like Michigan's going to spring the upset and Michigan's going to, especially around the big 10, I think people look, you know, that's kind of what it's the fun of being an Ohio state fan is it's you against the rest of big 10. Sometimes you're the top dog. And I think the, an average fan would probably have been um, excited to see Michigan pull off the upset, but didn't happen. And it got even kind of sloppy at the air, you know, ugly at the end. So I don't know. 743 is the number I came up with. Yeah. I said 749. That's why oh. I said, hey. Oh, wow. um, I thought it was a really exciting game. There was enough big play moments that the average fan could enjoy between the pump block, the touchdowns, um, the high scoring. 
and this of it. That's always helps when you've got t- two top ten opponents in rivalry week. Um, so a solid game, but it's also yeah. It's, if you don't if you don't have an invested interest, I don't know if it could be any higher than you know maybe eight hundred in, in a regular season game. It's not a great game. It's not an inc- it's it's not incredibly fun. high. It's fun. There's some fun yeah. moments. And by the way, we have to mention the fact that after Demario McCall muffed the kick return and gave the ball to Michigan and get basically gave Michigan a free touchdown, they did decide to drop Demario McCall in the backfield and run a wheel route on a top ten mm-hmm. draft pick later. And Demario yeah. McCall smoked Devin Bush, mm-hmm. and they had missed Dwayne had missed Mike Weber on a wheel route earlier in that game, and I think he might have overthrown him a little bit. And it was a nice little wrinkle of like they put Demario in the backfield, but you knew he was running the route. And he just ran right past Devin Bush. It's like, what's Devin Bush's deal? It's like, he's a super fast linebacker. And Demario McCall ran right by him. And Dwayne put it right on him down to like the two yard line and set up that throw. I thought it was nice. Nathan, the muff by Demario is, is insane. It's like, how did that even happen? It's like, he tried to catch a football with his face mask, but then he made a huge play later in the game to try to make up for it. Yeah, he was actually going to be my where did he come from? I know he was a known entity at the time, but um, it's just fun to watch him flash because that is the true time capsule. The time when Demario McCall actually got on the field, because that really that predated me covering this team. Yeah, Can I say something about Demario real quick that you're not going to like. You may say it. OK, um, that's the first time. But it's not the last time Demario McCall had a blunder on special teams against an opponent Ohio State hated, but it went on to dominate because he did it two years later in the Sugar Bowl. So, yeah, he he had some his last now 2019. I thought he was pretty crisp as a kick returner, but 20 waving his hand and catching the ball. Yes, but 2020 was a little iffier. And if you remember, Garrett Wilson had some issues on punt return earlier in his career, mm-hmm. and it's like Ohio State has, has, for whatever reason, this expansive roster of all these talented guys. Seems like they've had trouble finding sure-handed guys back there. But Ibuka and maybe Jackson Smith the Jig would seem like they're maybe headed in the other direction. Yeah. All right, our last category is always, what's the Buckeye enjoyment meter? How much do Ohio State fans, how much did they, Stephen, enjoy this game? What do you say for that? I like to reserve a thousands for hardware, but not when you're the underdog against Michigan and it's Urban Myers last game and Ryan Day does this to Don Brown. It's a thousand. I think that's incredibly well said. The underdog part of it. They never they want to be fake underdogs all the time. They yes. were an actual underdog. People were actually picking against them and they dropped a 62 they dropped more points the previous record for most points scored in the rivalry by ohio state was 50 twice Mm -hmm. in 61 and 68 i believe it was they scored 62 and they rubbed it in they rubbed it in so much they got an offensive lineman hurt in the last 90 seconds i do think it's a thousand also because that's overdog that's all you want to be you want to be a big dog that people are doubting, like legitimately doubting, not fake stuff on the message board doubting. People thought Michigan was going to win. They scored 62. I had 1,000. Nathan, what you have? So all those things being true, and you also see Chris Olave do this, and you're like, oh, we've got him for another two years at least, as it turns out, three years. You yep. see the defense do some things, but that's the last one. That's the thing that would keep me from saying a 1,000 because I think in the back of your mind as a Ohio State fan, aren't you thinking, 
if we had just played defense like that in West Lafayette, we're undefeated. We're going to the Big Ten Championship game, and what else is still in front of them? I think that 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 is going to keep it from being a thousand. I was thinking it's like somewhere like in the nine fifties, nine fifty eight. Yeah, that people really enjoyed that Saturday. If you could compartmentalize mm-hmm. the three and a half hours that you were either in the stands or in front of your TV, and you're wearing scarlet and gray, you felt great. Maybe not the first 20 minutes, but it was like seven to six. But like after that, you felt great. Then if you allowed yourself big picture of, a, oh, what could have been, I think you're right. But there was a lot of just joy in the moment because they were expected to lose. All right. Before we go, we did this because of Dwayne Haskins, because of the tragic passing of Dwayne Haskins at the age of 24. Bill Landis and I talked about it on the Monday podcast. You guys can go back and listen to that sort of what it was like. Um, to cover Dwayne. Um, Nathan, is there anything else that you, you know, obviously you did not cover Dwayne Haskins, but is there anything else you want to add to this discussion about Dwayne and uh, his legacy at Ohio State before we go? You know, and I, I'll defer to you guys. And, and you and Bill have already said a lot um, because I never met Dwayne Haskins. I only know him as an athlete, Maybe because of my own life circumstances right now and some things that are going on, though, I, I've been struck more by just um, the, the guy was 24 and like just what a hole that probably tears in his family. So just my, my thoughts to them. I know we're talking. We're writing about it. I wrote today about it from a purely football standpoint, really. And, um, you know, we talked to Ryan Day about it, his football coach. But I, I'm thinking right now about, um, you know, um, mothers and fathers and sister and 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 um, all the extended family that are trying to process this today because um I'm, I'm sure they don't have answers and and, and probably never will so my, my thoughts to them and steven you did cover Dwayne um when you joined the beat yeah. in the 2018 season what would you like to say before we leave here loved it only got it for four games but i thought i mean i said it in one of our videos i said here i think he you know graciously found a way to to toe that line of cockiness and confident and have and be entertaining along with it, but also informative. Um, you said it earlier about like Dwayne was like the first quarterback that you felt like you really just wanted to dive into him as a football mind. And it's why you want to do it with CJ Stroud so much. I, I agree with that thought process, but at the same time, it's, you know, I'm only three years older than Dwayne. And so it's, it's always numbing whenever you hear about people my age who pass, whatever the circumstances are, that's always a numbing fact. Um, so yeah, just prayers for his family, prayers for his wife, um, and all his friends and, you know, everybody who's all his teammates, especially those guys from 2018, those receivers. Cause, um, I know they're probably feeling it right, right now. Yeah. So this is what the sport does. It lets us, you know, brings people into all of our lives that we wouldn't know if we were just all walking down the street. So that Dwayne Haskins became part of Buckeye nation that Dwayne Haskins brought joy to Buckeye Nation, that he represented Buckeye Nation at the highest level as a player and as a person, uh, that's not going away. That is not going away, and he is remembered for who he was, and he is remembered for his tremendous talent, his tremendous acumen, uh, and his tremendous confidence and ability to stand up at the biggest moments and be great at what he did, and it was really fun. It was really fun to watch that offense in 2018. So we hope you guys enjoyed reliving this moment, reliving this game that I know uh, most of you out there, you'll, you'll never forget it. 62 on Michigan, man, that doesn't go away. So uh, our thoughts, our hearts are with 
the Haskins family or with his coaches and his friends and his teammates. Uh, but I hope, I hope we could honor him by remembering how special he was. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was a Buckeye Retalkable.